Dead Pilot Society, the podcast that takes comedy pilots from A-list writers that were sold and developed in networks, but never produced and gives them the table reads they never got a chance to have. I'm Andrew Reich, the creator and co-host of Dead Pilot Society. Our next show is coming up soon, Saturday, June 8th at 5 o'clock at the Hollywood Improv. Love a great Dead Pilot by Sarah Haskins and Emily Halpern, creators of Trophy Wife and the upcoming Patricia Heaton show, Carol's Second Act. They're also writers on the new film, Booksmart. Uh, Another great Dead Pilot from Matt Fussfeld and Alex Cuthbertson, who are writer-producers from The New Girl and Community. And we may have a very exciting third pilot, too. Uh, Check out our social media for updates and updates on the great cast we're putting together. Find us on Instagram at Dead Pilot Society. It's probably the best place. Get your tickets now. This will sell out. So, the other day at the gym, I heard a song I hadn't heard in a very long time. It was Get Low by Flo Rida featuring T-Pain. And it got me thinking about failure. Not that the song was a failure by any means, but uh, for reasons I'll explain in a minute. Now, I think about failure pretty constantly. This podcast is in some ways all about failure at least what gets defined as failure by Hollywood. And then there's the fear of failure that is uh, my constant companion every time I try and write a single word. And I've also been thinking about failure in the last couple weeks as the announcements came in about what network shows were picked up as series and which shows were canceled. Because chances are, as a writer, if you succeeded in selling your pitch for a pilot to a network, and then you succeeded again in writing that pilot and getting it picked up to be produced but it didn't go to series you consider yourself a failure and again chances are if you did succeed last year or the year before in getting your pilot picked up to series and you made one or two or even three seasons of a show and it got canceled you feel like a failure so as writers we leave ourselves a pretty tiny sliver of a definition of success, I suspect lots of you who aren't writers do the same thing in whatever your business is. Um, I mean, as a writer, I suppose if you created Big Bang Theory and you chose to end it rather than ever getting canceled, uh, you might feel like success. I don't know. But something like that happens to so few people, it effectively, statistically, happens to no one. Um, so I think about failure a lot, and I talk about it a lot on the show, but I realize I've never talked on this podcast about what's probably my biggest failure. So that's what uh, I'm going to talk about now. Back in 2011, my former writing partner, Ted, and I sold a pilot to ABC called Smothered. Uh, We did everything right. It was a personal story for both of us. Our pitch at ABC was probably our best ever. And our studio, Warner Brothers, was so happy with us that they made a blind deal with us for a second pilot. It basically means they said, we're going to pay you for whatever idea you come up with next. But we want it for this season, and we need it quickly. And we didn't have another idea at the time. Now, keep in mind, I'm telling this story as I remember it. Ted may have a different recollection. But as I remember it, we were trying to come up with that next idea, and we had just read a story on Deadline about a pilot someone sold that sounded like it was an exact copy of a successful movie. I think it was maybe knocked up. And uh, I remember thinking, why can't we just rip off a movie? And for whatever reason, the movie that came to mind was Tootsie. I was like, why can't we just rip off a movie? But Tootsie, Tootsie's a good movie. And I was just venting. I wasn't really pitching this as a serious idea. But then we remembered this discarded movie idea we had had for sort of legally blonde-style comedy about a bunch of female pharmaceutical reps with their wheelie bags, and they band together and take down Big Pharma. 
And somehow we started seriously pitching on this idea, and it developed into a story of some auto workers who've been laid off in the wake of the recession and can't get work, and who in desperation pose as women and become pharmaceutical reps. So Warner Brothers is bugging us, where's your idea? And we pitched this idea to them, and they liked it. And so we pitched it to the networks, and both ABC and NBC both wanted to buy it. We sold it to ABC, so we now had two pilot script deals there. One was a passion project about our kids and our parents, and the other one was this larky, tootsie homage. We'll use that word uh, kindly. Um, Incredibly, both pilots were greenlit to be produced, and we put our hearts and souls into Smothered. We shot that one first, and with the energy we had left after making that one, we shot what had by then become entitled Work It. We loved everyone in our Work It cast, all amazing people. We had a blast shooting it. There's always this sort of sense of this is just a crazy long shot lark. Um, We had a very small budget for it. We filmed one of the cheapest, worst looking club scenes in television history. We basically hung some beaded curtains in a dark corner of a soundstage and called it a club. And the comedy of the scene was that one of the leads gets lost in the music on the dance floor and forgets he's supposed to be a a woman and he does some very unfeminine dance moves with one of his female co-workers and the song he dances to is Get Low by Flo Rida featuring T-Pain so much to every single person's surprise smothered with our Academy Award winner and Tony Award winners and the cast that dies and Work It is picked up to series Ted and I are stunned not particularly happy about this turn of events but happy to have a show. We make 12 episodes of Work It for mid-season. Our live audiences go nuts every tape night. We love working with our amazing cast and with most of our writing staff. But right from the moment that that show is announced, people are out to get it. No one has seen it, but everyone hates it. And as we get closer to premiering, this drumbeat of hostility just gets louder and louder. Our show, with its five female leads, its female director, female line producer, is sexist. We have the first Puerto Rican lead of a comedy since Chico and the Man, but it's racist. And because it features men dressing as women, it's evidently transphobic, a word that was still pretty new back in 2011. The show is, once it's available to be screened, is universally reviled by the critics. It has, I believe, a 19 out of 100 score on Metacritic. The writers just, the critics just fall all over each other. Who can write the most scathing review of this despicable show? Uh, it debuts amongst amidst all this backlash, and it does pretty decent numbers, and it gets canceled after two episodes. The rest of the episodes are not burned off in the summer, which is what they usually do. They just never air. It's still not available on any streaming service or anywhere to be seen. Those remaining 11 episodes we made just basically don't exist. So I go into a bit of a spiral after that happens. I spend a lot of time searching out and reading mean tweets about the show, finding every single one of those bad reviews. I feel like my career is over. Uh, I go into therapy. Uh, She's just embarrassed to go anywhere, to go to parties. I think everyone's talking about this train wreck and laughing about it behind my back. It was really terrible. Uh, So now flash forward about seven years or so until the other day, I was at the gym and I heard Get Low by Flo Rida featuring T-Pain. And I just smiled and kind of laughed and fondly remembered that terribly shot club scene and just thought, "Ah, well, because that happened.
So our dead pilot this time is Sexy Justice from Joanna Stein. Joanna's written on many shows, including Kung Fu Panda, Jaws, Jaws of Destiny, Home, Adventures with Tip and O, Wander Over Yonder, uh, and Breaker High, which featured a young Ryan Gosling. She's also the author of the novel How Not to Calm a Child on a Plane. I had to drag the plug out of her when in our interview. If you're interested in animation or the world of children's shows, there's a lot of fascinating stuff. Uh, stuff a lot of stuff I didn't know in my uh, longer interview with Joanna, which follows the read of the pilot. Our cast for this one was Tia Surkar from The Good Place as Dee Dee Cates. Amanda Lund from Goosebumps as Jennifer Von Knobloch. David Walton from The New Girl as Father Jim. Ian Gomez from Cougar Town and a million other things as Captain Gomez. Andy Ridings from The Other Two as Father O'Reilly and Officer Capizzi. Brad Morris from Playing House as Gentle Willie and Officer Manning. Keiko Agena from Gilmore Girls as Chicky Jackson. And Ethan Peck from Star Trek Discovery as the Manly Nun and a bunch of other roles. So here is my co-host Ben Blacker's live interview with Joanna from the Hayworth Theater in Los Angeles, followed by the read of Sexy Justice after a brief message. Hi, I'm Joe Firestone. And I'm Manolo Moreno. And we're the hosts of Dr. Game Show, which is a podcast where we play games submitted by listeners regardless of quality or content with in-studio guests and callers from all over the world. And you can win a custom a magnet. A custom magnet. Subscribe now to make sure you get our next episode. What's an example of a game, Manolo? Pokemon or medication. How do you play that? You have to guess if something's a Pokemon name or a Medi- medication. medication. First-time listener, if you want to listen to episode highlights and also know how to participate follow dr game show on facebook instagram and twitter we'd love to hear yeah, from you it's really fun for the whole family we'll be every other wednesday starting march 13th and we're coming to max fun snorlax pokemon yes nice hi hi, hi. whenever you're comfortable hi. Uh, i'll hold it hi yeah do it very professional thank you joanna yes tell us about sexy justice <laughs> the uh, script the Oh, yes, just this script. Uh, well, it's a script that I wrote um, quite a while ago. Uh, How long ago? 12, 13, it's, it's past 10, yeah. It's older than my daughter, she's 12. <laughs> so, um, it, yeah, what? I wrote it for uh, the Oxygen Network before they were doing um, shows about murdering husbands and <laughs> eating their remains. Um, and uh, they, we, I had a great time developing it, actually, with, uh, with them. And then the president of the network got a hold of it and said, this is insane, we can't put this. Yeah, this they, is so interesting. Yeah. Wait, let, so let me, let's back up for a second. Where were you, what were you doing at the time? How did this opportunity oh. present itself? Well, I was doing um, sketch comedy. I was actually okay. writing and performing at sketch comedy uh, with another woman. Uh, and the, the two main characters, I originally wrote for us to... This is a long time ago. We were gonna do it, um, and and then you know it, I you told didn't it to even mention that when you sent it to us. Um, I yeah I I, <laughs> I have a past, um, and then uh, yeah and I thought oh great they're gonna buy it and we're gonna be in it and they said no we're buying it you're not gonna be in it idiot um, we're gonna put actors in it um, but then they didn't put act they put nobody in it <laughs> nobody. Um, uh, but yeah, I just um, it, I, I I don't I guess I can't I don't want to give away what yes. it is, right? Yeah, we'll we'll sort of talk vaguely right now. Okay. Just so the development process was good for you. It was, was shockingly it, good. Was yeah, it, a it was pitch, really. And then you wrote it. It was a pitch. I actually went in pitching like one show was about a bridal um, 
store, and another one was about, I don't know, flowers. And then at the end of the pitch, I was like, oh, you know, I have this other idea about, <laughs> mm. and the um, exec was like, yeah, that one. So really? I came back in, and, and uh, I did up the crazy pitch package. My husband helped. David. What did that look like? Um, it looked like, again, I don't want to give away too much, That's but right. there was a, a spandex bit. involved um, <laughs> and a CD with some pumping 80s heavy metal Fantastic. tunes. <laughs> but it was, and a red folder. Uh, yeah. And then, was it clear to you throughout the process that this was not going to get made? No, or? no, in fact, okay. we, were, we were interviewing. So it's a period piece, I'll say that. Mm -hmm. We were interviewing directors, and, and pretty, like, John Landis came in to talk to us about it, and I was like, this is John Landis, it's got to get made. <laughs> and, um, uh, and a number of people. So we were in pre-production, I guess, or pre-pre-pre-production when um, the axe fell. Uh, and I think Oxygen was also changing from mm -hmm. doing scripted stuff to murder and mayhem. Uh, and so... Uh, yeah, so I actually had a, 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 I begged, I was begging the president uh, of the network. Well, I asked her nicely if she could make it, and she was like, no, I can't make this. <laughs> um, yeah, that was, that was what happened. That's interesting. And um, this was not, by any means, the end of your career. You went on to do many exciting things. Um, yeah, thank you. Yes. Um, I, well, this didn't sink you. No, not at all. And it, was, it really was a very positive development experience. So I, oh, I do remember that. I'm, I'm really happy that I had a, a great experience. Um, Strangely, this is probably my best sample mm -hmm. and has led to me writing a lot of children's TV, which when you which, see yeah. it, you'll, it's ridiculous that anyone would read this and say she should write for so eight-year-olds. That happens um, all the time. Yeah, like, your I, weird specs are the ones that give you Yeah, well, it's TV. a little um, uh, broad, I guess. Is So they would go, could you do this for Disney? <laughs> uh, sure, I'll give it a go. So I would, yeah, I would get jobs that way. Uh, well, thank you for letting us read it Thank today. you so much. It's I'm, really fun. Thank you very much. I'm so delighted. And the cast well, is... Well, wait till clean. you hear it. Okay. <laughs> I... <laughs> Joanna Stein, everybody. Uh, thank thank you. you, Joanna. This is Sexy Justice by Joanna Stein, a buddy cop comedy about two of the sexiest undercover cops ever to serve in L.A., <laughs> east of the 405 and north of the 10. <laughs> Act one, it's the teaser. We're interior, a Judaica store in Los Angeles, circa 1986. An old store clerk cleans the shelf behind the register as two Hasidic rabbis quietly browse a shelf of dreidels. The doorbell rings as a customer enters from off screen. May I help you? The clerk looks up to see a pantyhose-masked punk pointing a gun in his face. Yeah, you can empty the register. Oh, oh don't hurt me, I have a family. The punk starts grabbing cash. He turns to leave when a gun is pressed to his cheek. It's one of the rabbis. Hands in the air, scumbag. What the? Hebrew cops? Oh, we're not Hebrew. We're undercover. The gun-toting rabbis whip off their beards in slow-mo, revealing that they're not Hasidic rabbis. They're not even men. <laughs> they're LAPD's finest undercover cops, Jennifer Von Knobloch and Dee Dee Cates. When the slow-mo moment ends, they realize the punk has gone. We got a runner, Jen! Let's go! We're on the city streets as Dee Dee and Jen give chase. They tear off the rest of their disguises to reveal body-hugging outfits underneath. They move fast in spite of their high heels, dodging traffic, <laughs> jumping over cars, and shoving people out of their way. 
Dee Dee gains on the punk, then leaps onto his back. Take him down, Dee Dee. Dee Dee tackles him to the ground as she pats him down. Wow, you work out? The perp tries to get up, but Jen plants her high-heeled foot on the guy's chest and aims a gun at his face. Before you do something stupid, you'd better ask yourself if you feel lucky. He looks up at these gorgeous cops straddling him. Yeah, kinda. Well, consider yourself cuffed and stuffed. As a few backup squad cars squeal to a stop in the background, we smash cut to the opening credits, a series of freeze frames from previous episodes of The Girls in Disguise. Jennifer as a surgeon in mid-surgery. Jennifer as a sexy wheelchair-bound military vet. Jennifer as a synchronized swimmer cutting the wires to an underwater bomb. In every shot, she looks serious and sultry. Chiron, Jennifer Von Knobloch. Now we see Dee Dee as a cheerleader holding a pom-pom in one hand and a badge in the other. Dee Dee dressed as a mustachioed mariachi. Dee Dee as a trapeze artist hanging by her legs in the big top while simultaneously aiming a gun. In every shot, Dee Dee looks playful and sexy. Chiron, Dee Dee Cates. Shot of the pair walking toward camera under the title, Sexy Justice. And this week's episode, Oh Baby Oh. We cut to a fuchsia-colored, solar-powered 1988 Fiero cruising down the streets of Los Angeles. Jen is driving, Dee Dee's in the passenger seat. They're in the middle of a heated argument. I don't see what the big deal is. The big deal is that it's not appropriate for you to tell a perp to call me when you make bail. So what? We, we hit it off. Since when was that a crime? See, that's the difference between you and me. I'm more outgoing than you are? No, I was going to say that. I'm a size 6 and you're a size 10. No. <laughs> it's just that... That I can do the splits? Okay, the difference between us is that I believe in protecting the public from these creeps, and you believe in welcoming them to the grand opening of your pants. Well, I think the main difference is that you're judgy. You look at a guy like that and all you see is a crime. I look at him and see a human being with a complex story and a smooth, hairless buttocks that you could bounce a quarter off. Again, not appropriate. The police radio crackles to life. Curify, we're nine report to precinct, Jason. We're on our way. Dee Dee puts the rotating light on the roof of the car. Hey, don't scratch the solar panels. And the car speeds off into the distance as we dissolve to an establishing shot of the LAPD police precinct. The precinct is abuzz with activity. Jen and Dee Dee round the corner as gentle Willie, the mail cart guy, does his rounds. Hello, Willie. How are you today? Hi, Jennifer. (laughs) Hi, Dee Dee. You look pretty. Oh, thanks, Willie. Any mail for me? Nope, but I got you some candy. Smitten, he hands Dee Dee a box of half-eaten candy. Oh, thank you, Willie. That's sweet. Is there anything for me, Willie? Yes. He reaches into the mail cart, pulls out a bassinet, and plunks it down on Jennifer's desk. He turns back to Dee Dee. These candies float in your mouth! Jennifer inspects the bassinet. Inside is an actual baby. Willie, where did this baby come from? You know, from down there. Clearly uncomfortable with this topic, he shyly points to Jennifer's crotch. No, where did this baby come from? Oh, a lady brought it. She said to make sure it gets to you. Hmm. Judging from the length of the umbilical cord, I'd say this baby was born in the last 12 hours. (laughs) Wait, what's this? Dee Dee reaches into the basket, pulls out a letter, and reads, 
Dear Officer Von Knobloch, I remember when you busted me for dealing, you was real nice. Please make sure my baby goes to a good home and that he doesn't end up at... What's it say there? I can't tell. It looks like someone has deliberately obscured the name or... She sniffs the page. Maybe they just peed on it. Captain Gomez walks in. He's a serious man who is impeccably dressed. He also has only one arm. It looks like you two just met your assignment, Baby Doe. I needed to locate the baby's mother. Piece of cake. Officers Manning and Capizzi, the station's resident chauvinist pigs, strut over. Hey, finally you girls are doing what you do best, playing house. <laughs> Good one! So, uh, which one of you two mommies is the daddy? They laugh hysterically and share a manly <laughs> fist pound. Capizzi, Manning, that's enough. But Knobloch, you know your way around a baby? Maternal instinct runs deep in my family. Jen reaches for the baby. It spontaneously projectile vomits on her. She freezes and steps back. Anyone have a wet nap? Dee Dee, why don't you take a crack at No, 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 no. Dee Dee's over-the-top outburst surprises everyone. Uh, babies and me, we, we, we don't get along. What's the matter, Dee Dee? Is it that time of the month? <laughs> you mean like her menstrual period, right? <laughs> Good one. They share another fist pound. Uh, Captain, I can't take this case. You want to tell me why? I've got my reasons. And I've got a stack of cases on my desk as long as my left arm <laughs> was. <laughs> You're on the case, and that's final. Frustrated, Dee Dee stomps out. Jennifer follows her. We're in the police precinct bathroom. Dee Dee goes into a stall and sits on the edge of the toilet. What was that all about? Well, I never told you this, Jen, but I lost a baby once. I'm sorry. How far along were you? What? No, not like that. I mean, I lost it. Couldn't find that kid anywhere. And we flash back to a bucolic city park 15 years earlier. A teenage Dee Dee with a mouthful of braces pushes a stroller up to an ice cream stand. It was my first babysitting job. I took the kid for a walk, and that's when I met Snake. I was young, and he had a tattoo of a snake on his face. A dangerous-looking guy with a snake tattoo across his face hands Dee Dee a milkshake. Dee Dee plucks the cherry off the top and puts it in her mouth. After a moment, she pulls out the stem, revealing knot after knot after knot. <laughs> At the end, the bizarrely long stem is topped with a perfect daisy shape. And we cut to Dee Dee and Snake making out in an array of locations, on a park bench, on a bridge, on a Ferris wheel. At every spot, the baby is right next to them, totally oblivious. We dissolve to much later. Dee Dee and Snake are necking in a car. The baby is not there. We cut back to the spinning Ferris wheel where we see the baby riding all by itself. And then we cut back to the bathroom in the present. It ended horribly. Oh, God, no. The no. baby? No, the baby was fine, but I never got paid. <laughs> I see what's going on here. When you look at that baby, it brings up old feelings. You feel guilty, unworthy, ugly, underdressed. Dee Dee looks confused at that last part. It wasn't your fault, Dee Dee. You were just a kid. Not much older than that little girl in there. Isn't it a boy? Whatever, okay? You're a responsible, capable woman now. You can help her, him, it. Are, are you with me, partner? Jennifer offers Dee Dee her hand. Dee Dee nods and takes it. Partner. A man's voice speaks out. The camera pans to the urinal where a man has been standing, a little embarrassed. Uh, are you guys done? I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, I'd, I'd love some privacy. <laughs> <laughs> 
And we're in the precinct moments later. The baby's in the bassinet on Jennifer's desk. If only Baby Doe could tell us how he got here. Where did you come from, little fella? Yeah, I don't think that's going to work. You're probably right. Tell us everything or help me, God. Hold on, Jen. Jen, what's this? Dee Dee points to the baby's diaper. I think it's called a diaper. Dee Dee picks up a laundry tag attached to the diaper. No, this. St. Ignatius Orphanage. Dee Dee and Jen look at each other. They're on to something. And we cut to the captain's office. An image of the St. Ignatius Orphanage sign is projected on the wall as the captain debriefs the girls. But why would Baby Doe's mother give him to an orphanage only to steal him back and leave him with us? The captain cycles through images of a cigar-smoking priest. That's Father Seamus O'Reilly. Runs the St. Ignatius Orphanage and Home for Wayward Girls. That's his alias. His real name is Ralphie the Scar Scarpetti. Long-time dirtbag. Sounds like he may have something to do with Baby Doe ending up here. We've intercepted his mail to provide you with safe covers, and we're outfitting you with untrackable two-way devices so you can maintain contact with each other at all times. He hands Dee Dee a tiny camera that transmits to a wristwatch. Dee Dee plays with it, filming herself and watching the image. Oh, hey, look, I'm on TV. Huh. <laughs> What's going to happen to Baby Doe? Unless we find the mother by tomorrow, Baby Doe becomes a ward of the state. I was a ward of the state. We're on it, Captain. The captain leaves the room. Jennifer looks at Baby Doe. Look at him. So young. So vulnerable. So evil. Dee Dee walks around the baby, giving it a wide berth. We won't let you down, little guy. Can I watch the baby for you, Jennifer? Oh, I appreciate the offer, Willie, but this baby was left in my care, and I intend to honor that request. Jen picks up the baby. It projectile pukes on her again. <laughs> Grossed out, she hands the baby to Willie. Just try not to drop it, okay? okay? And that's the end of Act One. We begin Act Two with an establishing shot of St. Ignatius Orphanage. We're in Father O'Reilly's office. Father O'Reilly, a.k.a. Ralphie Scarpetti, rifles through files in a file cabinet when in walks Jennifer. She's now wearing a nun's habit, a super short, sexy one with a cross dangling in her expansive <laughs> cleavage. When she enters... O'Reilly slams his file cabinet shut and locks it. Well, hello! Father O'Reilly, I'm Sister Helen. I was sent here by the Holy Mother of God in Elvis Wedding Chapel and Church in Las Vegas. I wasn't expecting you till next week. Well, let's just say I couldn't wait to get down to business. Ah, well, you don't look like your photo. And we insert, O'Reilly pulls out some paperwork and holds it up. The real Sister Helen is a hard-looking woman in her 60s. Yeah, that was taken from my bad side. Suddenly, a very manly nun is standing beside Jen, <laughs> startling her. Welcome to St. Ignatius Orphanage. It's good to meet you too, Father. Sister Helen, this is Mother Superior. Of course, Mother. Jen kisses the nun's hand, which is so big and hairy that Jen gets some knuckle hair caught in her mouth. <laughs> Mother Superior whispers something in O'Reilly's ear. Excuse me, I've got to take care of something. I look forward to getting to know you better, sister. Not half as much as I do, father. O'Reilly and the manly nun walk out. When they're gone, Jennifer speaks into her crucifix pendant. Dee Dee, are you getting my video signal? And we intercut with the solar-powered Fiero outside the orphanage. Dee Dee, dressed in a sexy all-black cat suit, is staking out the orphanage. She picks up Jen's signal on her video watch. 
I'm getting the video feed, but all I can see are two floppy pillows. Two floppy pillows? Oh. Jen reaches into her cleavage and turns her crucifix around. From Dee Dee's POV, we see an image of what Jen's cleavage cam is recording, framed through her breasts. Oh, that's better. How's O'Reilly? He bought it, and I've identified his accomplice. Keep an eye out for a nun with hands the size of ham hocks. Will do. I'm staking out the hospital wing. I'll let you know what I find. We stay with Dee Dee as she watches a diaper service van pull out of the orphanage's back entrance. Dee Dee pulls a balaclava over her face. Only her eyes and mouth are visible. Checks herself in the rearview mirror and applies lip gloss. Then runs through the orphanage's back gate. Meanwhile, we're interior O'Reilly's office. Jen reaches into her shirt and pulls out a long, curved piece of underwire from her bra, leaving one of her boobs majorly drooping. <laughs> she uses the underwire to pick the lock on O'Reilly's file cabinet, then works the wire back into her bra, perking her breast back up again. Suddenly, Jen hears footsteps. She slams the file cabinet shut, then turns to find herself face-to-face -face with handsome, square-jawed, kindness-oozing Father Jim Jenkins. I'm sorry I didn't see you there, sister. I'm Father Jim Jenkins. I, I'm Sister Helen. I'm new. Oh. I've just returned to St. Ignatius myself after ministering to needy children in Colombia. <laughs> Welcome back, Father Jenkins. Uh, call me Jim. Okay. Jim. Come, sister. Let me show you around. Meanwhile, on the orphanage roof, Dee Dee looks down from an open skylight. She climbs through it and rappels down through the ceiling. In the nursery, when she drops to the floor, Dee Dee finds herself in a large playpen, surrounded by cooing, gurgling babies. She reacts like Indiana Jones in a pit of snakes. <laughs> babies? Why did it have to be babies? Dee Dee hyperventilates, struggling to escape the ring of babies without touching any of them. In the gardens outside the orphanage, Father Jim and Jennifer stroll. He greets pregnant girls as they pass. You have such a way with wayward girls. Yeah, that's why I had to come back here. Can I trust you, sister? Of course. I've noticed some strange going-ons here at the orphanage. Father Jim sees O'Reilly and the manly nun in the distance. But we can't talk here. Have dinner with me tonight. You got it, Father. He looks at her with mock chiding. <laughs> I mean, Jim. <laughs> Father Jim walks away. Jennifer exhales, trying to compose herself. Her cross lights up as she gets a call from Dee Dee. Jen, it's me. In the hallway, Dee Dee is using binoculars to peer through the glass of a hospital room door. I'm in the maternity wing. I've just made an interesting discovery. What is it? You can't get an STD from a hot tub. And in an insert, we see that Dee Dee's looking at an STD pamphlet on the wall. Okay, but there's something even more interesting. Meet me by room 14. I'm right here. Dee Dee turns around. Jennifer is standing right behind her. Oh, hey. The two of them sneak in tandem from doorway to doorway, somersaulting across the floor. We're in the maternity ward, room 14. Chickie Jackson is in bed. She's eating Jello and watching Judge Judy on TV. Aww. Bitch, ju uh, judge, that bitch is lying. Well, well, if it isn't Chicky Jackson, drug informant extraordinaire. Jennifer yanks Chicky out of bed and pushes her up against Ugh. the wall. We can see now that Chicky is hugely pregnant. Ugh, I didn't do anything wrong. I was just passing by when I heard they were giving out free jello. How far along are you? I ain't pregnant, I'm just retaining water. What are you doing here? 
I don't gotta tell you nothing. Maybe this will loosen those lips of yours. Dee Dee winds up to slap Chicky across the face. Jen grabs Dee Dee's hand to stop her. Dee Dee, not appropriate. Sorry, my bad. I forgot it was your week to be bad cop. Thank you. Now Jennifer winds up to slap Chicky across the face. Maybe this will loosen those lips of yours. Okay, they're buying babies here. No questions asked. I sold two already. And when this one's born, I'll have enough to buy a flat screen. You won't tell my parole officer, will ya? We won't tell your parole officer if you keep your mouth shut about us. And if you give me some of that jello. In the hallway moments later, Jen and Dee Dee, now eating jello, exit the room. It's a black market baby ring. O'Reilly and the manly nun round the corner. Quick, we gotta hide. They slip into a linen closet together to hide. <laughs> In the linen closet, the girls whisper hurriedly to each other. I don't get it. Why is an orphanage buying babies? Hold on. If you unscramble the letters St. Ignatius, you get giant suits, which is the name of a garment factory in Pomona that specializes in tiny clothing. Of course, those orphans are being sold as tiny dressmaker models. Well, that would be the obvious answer. But I think it's even worse than that. Give me your phone. We intercut. Manning answers the phone in the precinct. Hello? Manning, you got me the cap. <laughs> Manning, get me the captain. Yeah, captain can't talk right now. What's your 20? We're at St. Ignatius hiding inside a closet. <laughs> well, why don't you call back when you come out of the closet? <laughs> Manning and Capizzi laugh hysterically. Gomez enters, fuming. Dang it, give me that phone. How's the investigation going? I've made contact with Father Jim. He's a good man, kind, trustworthy, great hands. I'm going to feel him out. I'm, then I'm going to pump him hard for information. Okay, everyone calm down. How's baby Doe? Willie's uh, taking fine care of him. Behind the captain, Willie plays peekaboo with baby Doe. Peekaboo! Where'd you go, baby? Baby. Where are you? Where'd you go? <laughs> Don't do that again, baby. And back inside the closet. Uh, work fast and be careful. The captain hangs up. Okay, I'm going to go meet Father Jim and see what I can find out. And I'm going to tail O'Reilly after I slip into something a little more comfortable. And we smash cut to the orphanage. Dee Dee emerges from the closet dressed as a pregnant teen with a huge fake pregnant tummy and massive fake breasts. She walks past O'Reilly's office and spies him through the blinds, looking at files. We now see that the hands on her belly are fake, as her actual hands bring a tiny camera up to her face. She takes pictures of the files, which are marked clearly, babies, comma, stolen. And babies, comma, drug mules. As O'Reilly dials his phone, Dee Dee opens up her phony stomach like a toolbox. She pulls out a large Whisper 2000 type listening device, then pops off her breasts, they're actually headphones, and puts them on her ears to eavesdrop. Bring the shipment to the chapel at midnight. We've got some grade-A babies this time. <laughs> They'll be ready when you get here. Dee Dee writes on her hand, shipment, chapel, midnight. Remember, bring the shipment to the chapel at midnight. Shipment, chapel, midnight. Shipment, chapel. Midnight! Dee Dee points to the words on her hand as he says them. Got it. Dee Dee runs off. Moments later, O'Reilly opens his door. He looks down and picks up one of Dee Dee's fake hands. 
He goes back into his office, picks up the phone, and makes another call. It's me. I think we have company. And we cut to Father Jim's room sometime later. Jen and Father Jim have just finished a candlelight dinner. He's showing her a set of photographs. And this is Jose from El Salvador. <laughs> He's the bravest little boy I've ever met. He was born with an extra face, where his, right where his testicles should be. Your love for these children is, it's inspiring. Yeah, that's why I'm concerned. Something is going on here, and I believe Father O'Reilly is behind it. Can I count on you to help keep an eye on him? Of course. He offers to pour her a glass of wine. More blood of Christ, sister? <laughs> I'm kidding, it's not blessed wine. They laugh flirtatiously. Jen looks at her watch. Uh, I, I really should be going. He touches her shoulder. Though clearly conflicted, Jen doesn't stop him. Helen, I, I know we just met, but I think I'm falling for you. He leans in to kiss her. She stops him. Jim, this is a line I vowed I'd never cross professionally. Because of the whole nun thing, of course. Placing a finger on her lips, he makes a teeny tiny sign of the cross. Tonight, let's just worry about tonight. And just like that, Jen gives in to her feelings, and she and Jim kiss with so much passion, it's almost unbearable. <laughs> and we dissolve. Jen walks down the darkened halls of the orphanage, a post-coital smile on her face. She enters her room. Suddenly, a bright light is in her face, blinding her. She turns on the overhead light and sees Dee Dee, still in her pregnant suit, smoking. I've been trying to call you. I was just... Did you get with that priest? In a biblical sense? What, what would make you say that? Because you look more relaxed and happy than I've ever seen you. Also, you're naked from the waist down. We see from behind that she is. Jen covers up as Dee Dee points to her video watch. Oh, yeah, plus I watched the whole thing. That was a private moment between Jim and me. Look, I am all for you popping a priest cherry, but listen, I get a bad vibe from that guy. Oh, well, isn't that the pot calling the kettle a slut? Did you just call me a kettle? You bang every slime ball who ever posed for a mugshot, and I make sweet, sweet love to one pure-hearted priest, and he gives you a weird feeling? I ought to crab mega your ass right now. And by kettle, are you saying this outfit makes me look fat? This conversation is over. Fine. We've got to get to the... She looks at her hand. Chapel by midnight. That's in 15 minutes. What's going on? I'll explain on the way. They run out the door and are stopped by O'Reilly with a gun. Not so fast. Did he just say not so fat? No. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and we freeze frame on their concerned faces, and that's the end of Act 2. <laughs> Act 3. Jen and Dee Dee are in a cellar, tied back to back on chairs. Don't panic! We're gonna be fine! Yeah, I know. When I couldn't reach you, I radioed for backup. You did? Good work. Look, I think we should talk about your thing with Father Jim. Well, that makes one of us. Great, I'll go first. I don't care that the guy blew his priest vows by sleeping with you. Hell, if I had a nickel for every hot man of the cloth I've slept with, I could claim a sizable tax deduction. It's just... You're wrong about Jim. Jen, I have a sixth sense about... It's almost midnight. Let's just do what we came here to do. Okay, fine. Let's just try and loosen these ropes. 
They begin squirming around and fall over onto the floor, ending up in a weirdly sexual pseudo-69 position. Suddenly, the door opens. It's Manning and Capizzi. All right, freeze! When they see Dee Dee and Jen tied up, they high-five. Oh, my God! You lesbos are insatiable! Cut the crap, Manning, and untie us. They're untying the girls when in walks Father Jim. What is going on? Jim, thank God you're here. Who are these men? It's okay. We're all cops. All right, let me help. Father Jim leans over to help. Then, with a one-two combination, he knocks both Manning and Capizzi out cold. Jim, what are you doing? Father Jim's demeanor changes completely. Save it, sister, or should I say, officer. But... How did you know? I don't sweat it. I'm not really a priest either, so I guess we're even. He takes his collar off. Dee Dee gives Jen a told-you-so look. Don't. But why, Jim? Why? Jim is about to answer when Dee Dee pipes up. They're using the orphanage as a cover for a drug-running operation. But why an orphanage? Jim opens his mouth again, but again Dee Dee interrupts. Orphan babies make great decoys because drug-sniffing dogs can't smell drugs through a dirty diaper. Oh my god. Is this true? Heck yeah, it is. And one more thing. Dee Dee, please. Your partner's quite right. Told you. Okay, well, congratulations on getting away with it and for making me fall in love with you. Yeah, that was the easy part. And for the record, I wasn't really a virgin. Oh, I knew it! I can smell a virgin from a mile away. Well, let's put that sense of smell to the test, shall we? He opens the valve of a canister. It begins to hiss. Patchouli and jasmine? Carbon monoxide, actually. You should begin to feel the effects in a few minutes. I'm afraid I can't stay. I've got an appointment. Buenas noches. Jim takes the girl's weapons and leaves. Oh, God. I feel so... Stupid? No, I... Used? No. Stupid? Sorry, I said that one already. I feel so bad about the things I said to you. I was so judgmental about your indiscriminate sexual habits. Habits? It's more of a hobby, really. Meanwhile, I let my emotions cloud my judgment, and now we're going to die. Wait. I'm rarely wrong, Dee Dee, so please, just let me say this. No, I mean, I just thought of something. Scooch to your left. Jennifer scooches. Dee Dee struggles to reach the rope knots. Almost there. At last, Dee Dee reaches the knot. She takes it into her mouth, rolls it around in there, and spits it out. (laughs) It's untied and with a perfect daisy on the end. Good work, Dee Dee. Let's go. The girls turn off the gas and grab weapons from the now incapacitated Manning and Capizzi and run out. They run into the chapel where they hide behind a stained glass window, their faces mirroring the expressions of the religious icons on the window. From their POV, we see as O'Reilly inserts a bag of drugs into a diaper lining. He puts that diaper on a baby, then places it alongside several other diapered babies. He inspects the row of babies, sniffing them one by one. Finally, he singles one out. This one's good to go. O'Reilly hands the baby to Father Jim and the manly nun, now dressed in civilian clothes as the baby's parents. Several armed bad guys stand watch. You ready? I was born ready. Jen and Dee Dee jump up, weapons drawn. O'Reilly, you filled your last diaper. O'Reilly grabs one of the babies and, using it as a shield, tries to back out of the chapel. Jen aims her gun at him. Careful, Jen. Jen pulls the trigger and hits O'Reilly in the arm. Gunfire erupts as O'Reilly's guys return fire. Dee Dee watches in horror as O'Reilly falls, then tosses the baby into the air. For a moment, the baby flying through the air dissolves into a flashback of the baby she left on the Ferris wheel. (laughs) 
Dee Dee shakes off the memory, then runs in slow-mo through the hail of bullets. She catches the baby, rolls on the floor, gently places it under a pew. When she looks up, she sees bad guys writhing on the floor, wounded. The wall behind her is riddled with bullets, but there's not a scratch on her. Dee Dee, look out! Suddenly, O'Reilly sits up and takes a shot at Dee Dee. His bullet hits her right through her fake stomach. My baby! But then Dee Dee pulls her fake stomach off and realizes she hasn't actually been hit. She sighs with relief. I'm good. Father Jim runs out the door. The girls try to give chase, but a gun is pointed at Dee Dee's temple. It's the manly nun. One false move and your friend gets it. Drop your gun and come out. Jennifer drops her weapon and puts her hands up. The manly nun marches Dee Dee and Jen down the aisle. Let's go. You know, you really ought to consider electrolysis. I'm just saying. Suddenly, from the back of the church... Oh, I'm going into labor and I don't know nothing about birth and no babies. Huh? Dee Dee grabs a heavy cross and slams the distracted manly nun across the back with it, while Jen grabs an incense holder, spins it nunchuck style, and throws it. It wraps around the manly nun's legs, tripping her onto the ground. Thanks, Chicky. We owe you one. What do you mean you owe me one? I really am in labor. Boil some water, tear up some sheets, and get me some drugs. But Jennifer and Dee Dee have more pressing business. They run out to the Fiero as Jim speeds away in a church van. We can't let him get away. Jen jumps into the driver's seat. Dee Dee slides across the car hood and jumps in. But the driving tension grinds to a halt when the car won't start. Okay, you left your curling iron plugged in again, didn't you? No. We see the curling iron is indeed plugged into the dashboard. Damn it, Dee Dee! Okay, don't freak out. I got this. Dee Dee jumps out of the car and flags down an ice cream truck with a clown on top. She flashes her badge at the driver. LAPD! Dee Dee? Snake? We now see that the driver has a tattoo of a snake on his face. Excited, Dee Dee hops in the truck, followed by Jen. In the ice cream truck, Snake's friendly demeanor belies his scary-looking face. Oh my god, Snake, it's great to see you. You too, what are you up to? Oh, not much. Uh, Jen hooked up with this bad boy fake priest, and now we gotta chase him down. You know, same old, same old. Sorry to interrupt, but we were kind of in the middle of something. Oh, right. Follow that church van! Snake floors it. Dee Dee squeals with delight as the truck speeds through the streets, its ice cream music playing at a maniacal pace. <laughs> Children spring alongside the truck, dollars in hand, unable to catch it. <laughs> the truck speeds through an underpass where the clown head gets knocked off. A child standing on the side of the road with his mommy points to the decapitated clown and cries... Back inside the truck. He's headed to the airport. We're on the airport tarmac. The ice cream truck trails Father Jim's van across the tarmac to a small plane. Father Jim jumps out and runs toward the plane. Dee Dee stays back while Jennifer jumps out to chase him. It's over, Jim. Stop or I'll shoot. He stops and turns on the charm. Jennifer. <laughs> Jen. Je. Come with me. Think of it. You and me sipping pinocoladas. Eating burritos on the beach in Colombia. We flash back. Jen looks at him, remembering their time together. His face at the moment they met. His face across the dinner table from her. His face contorting unattractively when they made love. <laughs> we end the flashback. Jen looks like she might be caving. What do you say? I'm allergic to coconut. She fires her gun, shooting Father Jim in the foot. Ow! You didn't have to shoot me! You could have just said no! Police cars squeal to a halt on the tarmac. Dee Dee runs over, her blouse open, her gun drawn. We can see Snake in the distance putting his shirt back on. Consider yourself cuffed. And st-
stuffed. Hey, so Snake says he knows this great biker bar down the street. Oh, right, you're sad. Um, come here. <laughs> Dee Dee hugs Jen tightly. Manning and Capizzi run over just in time to see Dee Dee and Jen hugging. They pound fists. And we cut to the precinct the next day. Dee Dee and Jennifer watch from the chief's office as all the orphan babies are reunited with their mothers. It's times like this that I love my job. Those babies are being reunited with their mothers, all because of us. Chicky marches up to the chief with her three bundled up kids. I told you, chief. I ain't taking these kids back until I talk to a lawyer. A woman walks in and runs to Willie, who's holding Baby Doe. Oh, that must be Baby Doe's mother. The woman reaches for Baby Doe, but Willie won't let go. As Willie and the woman have a tug-of-war over the baby, Jennifer closes the door and faces her partner. Dee Dee, I've learned a lot about myself over the last few days. I learned that being a cop doesn't mean you stop being a woman or a friend. I also learned that nuns' undergarments don't breathe very well. And that Greek yogurt, applied topically, really does cure yeast infections. <laughs> and I learned that when you catch a baby, it makes an oomph sound. <laughs> that once you've seen footage of your friend having sex, there's no way to unsee it. And I learned that my ability to tie a cherry stem with my tongue is useful for more than just giving a guy a beat. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> but most of all, I learned that you and I aren't different as, we, as I thought. I know. But please don't ever say that again in public. Jen and Dee Dee hug. Captain Gomez walks in. All right. Sorry to break up the party. I've just gotten word of a murder attempt over at the Braille Rail. Isn't that the club that's famous for its blind strippers? That's the one. I'm going to need my best officers on the case. Think you can handle it? We're on our way. Wait, you're going to need these. He hands them each a pair of sunglasses and a cane. And hey, look out for each other. We always do, Captain. We always do. As the girls throw on their sunglasses and walk out arm in arm, we fade out. End of show. Welcome back to Fireside Chat on KMAX. With me in studio to take your calls is the dopest duo on the West Coast, Oliver Wong and Morgan Rhodes. Go ahead, caller. Hey, uh, I'm looking for a music podcast that's insightful and thoughtful, but like also helps me discover artists and albums that I've never heard of. Yeah, man. Sounds like you need to listen to Heat Rocks every week. Myself and I'm Morgan Rhodes, and my co-host here, Oliver Wong, talk to influential guests about a canonical album that has changed their lives. Guests like Moby, Open Mike Eagle, talk about albums by Prince, Joni Mitchell, and so much more. Yo, what's that show called again? Heat Rocks, deep dives into hot records. Every Thursday on Maximum Fun. Okay, hey, Joanna. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Uh, so I usually start off by telling the writer my favorite jokes oh. from the script. Yay! And I was just re- I was just re-listening to this. So I'm just going to tell you where I really laughed out loud in my car Great. while I was re-listening to it. <laughs> One uh, when Jennifer says, "Hmm, judging from the length of the umbilical cord, I'd say this baby was born in the last 12 hours." Uh-huh. Such good. Uh, shitty cop show like <laughs> talk um, I loved when the ice cream truck starts speeding and the music also oh, yes. that it plays also speeds up and then man David Walton just saying Jennifer Jen je, 
just really. Oh my, and he really he got it too. He played the heck out of that role. When you when you listen to him, I noticed he sounds exactly like Bill Murray doing it. You'll see. You listen to it. Just imagine that it's Bill Murray. Wow. I've never thought that David like sounded like Bill Murray. Yeah. I was just like, God, this is this is. He really. I mean, the cast was amazing, and but but that role in particular, he brought stuff to it that I did not. I just didn't, you know, when he was playing it, it was an entirely different angle on that character, but it was so much better than what I saw in my head. <laughs> yeah. Great. Great. So, um, we talked, when you, Ben's interview with you, we talked a little bit about your start in this mm-hmm. whole writing business coming out of yeah. sketch comedy. Yes, yes, but let's that's Let's talk right. a little bit about more about how you made that transition. So, when you were doing sketch, was it with, with one of the big... Like groups? No, no. I I actually came from. I can't remember what I said at the. I'll it's just, okay. You, you can know, repeat yourself. It's all right. Cut it. <laughs> um. So I'm you know Canadian. I don't know if I mentioned that. Uh. I actually came from um, like live uh story theater, like children's comedy story theater. Okay. I was a mime. That's, you were a mime. That's true. Like a trained mime. Yeah. I'm. I don't know that I've ever admitted this in, in public, but um, I've been mocked. Uh, a lot for it, but I'm very good at it. I think it uh, should be a moratorium <laughs> on mocking mimes, just because yeah, it's just you. like that's it's just a cliche to mock mimes. Thank I think you. It's time to celebrate I think we've passed mimes. that. Yeah. Thank you. I'm I'm taking it back. I'm taking back the mime. Um, so I came I came from there, and writing came out of I think for a lot, like a lot of people for from writing for myself. Uh, when I moved out here, I moved out here to go to film school, and at the same time I was writing comedy. Uh, sketch comedy with another woman named Joy Goring, and we did uh, a kind of combo. It was it, I wouldn't call it stand-up so much as almost like a, a vaudeville two-person okay. comedy interspersed with sketch. Um, and uh, we did a and lot did you have of that. Like personas. I mean, did, were you a classic comedy? Yeah, team yeah. Like or? I was a straight, you know, the straight uptight brunette. She was the <laughs> wacky blonde. Uh, and it was really fun. We did stuff uh, through Improv Olympic, which is out of Chicago, but it was in, when we started, it was in the crappiest little theater in Hollywood on Santa Monica Boulevard. It was the best. It was so fun. Uh, you know, every night that we did a show, we would be driving up to the theater with our crappy props and wigs <laughs> in the back of a truck. And yeah, it was awesome. And that led to a, um, the, there used to be the U.S. Comedy Arts Festival in Aspen. We went there. We got signed, we got a deal, we did a sketch show for Oxygen, which is actually kind of how this happened. Okay. Uh, and, and, uh, So when you yeah. say you got signed, just you got, uh, by, you an got ag- signed. by, a, by yeah. an agent? Yeah. Was, okay. Yeah, did I have one? I might have had an agent. No, I guess I didn't. Yeah, we got, well, we got signed by Bernie Brillstein at the time. It was, oh, wow. It was a big deal. Uh, like actual, he was a lovely man. Actual Bernie. Well, no, we got, we got, um, uh, no, Jed Weitzman was our manager, but he brought us in to meet Bernie, who he officially gave us the, come here, girls. Uh, so cool. it was lovely. Yeah, he's a really sweet man. Um, and yeah, and that kind of was, I guess, my my entree into that, into, you know, being a performer writer at the time. And the sketch show for Oxygen, did, was a pilot made or that? Yeah, was, we, yeah. we actually, they didn't. We didn't do a pilot. We shot probably, I don't know, five, six episodes worth, but it was right at the launch of Oxygen. Like, they, it hadn't, it didn't exist yet. So it was, I think, you know, Carsey Warner and, Carsey Warner, Mondebach and Oxygen were 
launching this new network and it was one of the many shows that they were launching and it was it was a lot going on so uh it, I, it a couple of episodes aired i want to say to like you know 17 midwestern housewives uh and then and then it all kind of fell apart <laughs> for yeah it's a long story but uh but i do have some of those sketches and i still really like them that's cool yeah so from that, they made, that's when, because you talked about going in and pitching a few ideas to the Oxygen Yes, people. that's right. So I, I had a good relationship at the end of that. And, and uh, so they said, you know, we're not going to do sketch. What do you got in the scripted space? So I, I showed up with a couple pitches. One was about, I don't know, wedding planners. Another was, I don't, I can't remember. And then I had this idea about these cops because I'm kind of obsessed with cops. Uh I, you know, I, I, I will go so far as to say I have taken a citizen's uh, police class at the LAPD. Oh, really? So it's not, Amazing. Just a, it's not just an obsession with cop shows. Also it's... that. <laughs> yep. Yeah, also that. But um, well, what's that highly citizen, recommend. What's that class like? I love it. It was amazing. Actually, Joy, my old partner and I, we took it together. It, you, it's like an 11-week class where you, you can take it, by the way. Whatever your neighborhood is, like the LAPD offers this 11-week class, and they bring in different departments, like the gang department the counterfeit department and you can go uh with the mounted the horsey department <laughs> uh and they give you these presentations and you can ask whatever you want it's fantastic high counterfeit department is off the charts cool um so we where was i i got lost uh cops so oh and also yes obsessed with cop shows so i had this idea um that really came from it was something I wanted to write for Joy and I to perform, really. Uh, this idea that was like a mashup of Cagney and Lacey plus Charlie's Angels. Like, what if you took Charlie's Angels, the jiggle factor of that show, but you mashed it up with these really serious issue-driven stories that Cagney and Lacey used to do? And what would that look like? Um, and, yeah, at the time I was just watching lots of, like, old 70s cop shows, which are amazing to watch yeah. now yeah there's there yeah uh so that's what that became and and also i just you know i, I my background now is I, I write a lot of animation and so i have a very uh you know cartoony sensibility often so that was the that was sort of the third element was what would be the biggest goofiest version of these two cop shows you know right that's hence things like an ice cream truck out of control or the, <laughs> the yeah guy. so yeah. had was this when you wrote this was this the first script that was not you know just a sketch that you had written? um for myself yeah i mean when i say for myself i'm not not like purely hired but yeah it was it was a little um i think i it started with probably that opening scene with the uh in the judaica store <laughs> yes in the judaica store <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I really didn't know. It, it was a bit of a, the, the, the script was a, a bit of a Frankenstein because it did, in the beginning, was very sketchy and didn't really have a through line. Um, and actually, I had a great experience with my exec at um, Oxygen at the time. She was really great with helping, you know, guide me into like, you know, it kind of needs a story and a, <laughs> like emotional payoffs and stuff. So... Yeah, it was a it was a great script to write though, really fun. I mean, difficult, but a lot of fun. So that that sort of brought. I mean, how much Zucker Brothers did was uh -huh. that something? Did you grow up with, uh, yeah. with that stuff? Or? I think also Get Smart. Okay. It was probably a little more Austin Powers also. Uh -huh. Yeah, Austin Powers still makes 
me howl. I'm, yeah. I, it's yeah. hard. Especially the second one. Uh-huh. To me, the, the second one is, really? is, the, is yeah. the great one. But. Yes. Yeah, I, I just showed my daughter Austin Powers. Yeah, I just at, showed at my 12. kids, too. Really? Yeah, yeah like I have, you know, my kids just turned 12, but yeah. It's, like, um, perfect. There's still a lot of, you know, stuff that's a little... Do I make you horny? Yeah, it's a little yeah. hard to <laughs> explain, but, yeah. Um, yeah, I just love that. And there's there's something so... Like, I feel like after those movies came out, there we were... I feel like there was a super cynical period of, time, of comedy that was going on. Really funny stuff, but very cynical. And what I... What I what attracted me to this area was this these characters who were sort of so um, uh, not self-deprecating. I guess in it is physically self-deprecating. These women who are total jackasses. These <laughs> these actresses or whoever characters would have to be completely unselfconscious, and that's what I love in the way that Austin Powers is. And you right. know, there's this physicality that it just is. It's in endearing at its core to me is people and characters who can who kind of embrace that whether they mean to or not the, their outrageousness and their ridiculousness and so and you really were writing it for you and your, your partner to, well, that's, to be in so you were kind of writing what, what you wanted to play totally absolutely yeah yeah there's a there's a fun to that and just just in in general like women making fools of themselves to me is the next I mean we're there already which I'm so happy for yeah. but at the time I felt like I wasn't seeing enough women making jokes about their own boobs. Right. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? It's right. Just... We've gotten to a point, I think, where women we're can kind now. of do everything. They're yes. Either, they're allowed, Thank you know, God. There's enough that we're, 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 we're most of the way there, at least. Most of the way, yeah. I don't know that, I don't know that all the audiences are there yet, yeah. but, yeah. Um, and was the dynamic between Jennifer and Dee Dee, is that similar to what, when you guys did your sort of vaudeville, totally. you think that was kind yes. of the... The dynamic, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely based on our personalities, for sure, um, but you know really pushed uh and and as far as like the outfits like when we were doing our sketch comedy we would just go into a some low rent um clothing store way you know way off the beaten track and find the most unflattering sparkly shiny lycra outfits we could find and go i got we gotta write something around that outfit we want to wear that get on stage i don't know what it is but we're gonna that's a great it's a good way of writing yeah. outfit first yes Just absolutely like the, like the clothing leave the <laughs> let character. it dictate the comedy so when you saw that angie tribeca was uh getting yeah. on tv what, what was your what was your yeah. feeling well you know a little bittersweet um <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I, I've actually had that feeling. I mean, there's, you know, there's nothing terribly original about this to be about my uh, script. Um, but yeah, I did. I, I was, I was excited <laughs> that someone was doing it. Um, but uh, yeah, it's a good show. Yeah, real good show. It is. It is good. I mean, I guess it's, it's hard to feel vindicated as yeah. the primary emotion that you feel when some, when that happens. If you do this long enough, I feel like this is going to happen. And the oh, idea the that you had that didn't go anywhere, someone else does, yeah. and it, you know, takes off. Yeah, yeah. No, it feels, I mean, it, exactly. It feels both good and I, I think w- w- what you want to get to, the mature feeling, I guess, is, okay, this was a good idea. Right. You know, it was Moving not on. my time. It wasn't the right, I yes. didn't have the heat at that moment. I didn't have the right. cloud to make it happen. Right. Um, not Steve Carell. Exactly. Virginia, um, but oh, this wasn't an insane idea for a TV show. This, exactly. You know, this could be a it TV show. It was ahead show. of its time. Yes, it was ahead of its time. Uh, and so you were saying that this script got you, is really what got you into writing kids TV. 
it, it, I was writing Kiss TV, but at the time, uh, uh, some stuff. But this really, I mean, you would be surprised at the number of people who read this and, you know, brought me in like Disney <laughs> to say, this, it's can you do this su- for children? It's not that surprising to me, really, because in, well, at least in network, uh, you know, primetime stuff, they're so allergic to broad comedy. You right. Know, the, when you try and do broad comedy, they, they, you get noted to death. Yeah. And so the place where this kind of comedy lives Works, is right. in Yeah, and, and in, in animation also, yeah. specifically. Like, uh, I think also my, just my own um, writing style has changed a lot from writing in animation because it's, you know, it's required of you to think incredibly visually and specifically. So I think that uh, that translates to a script that's very friendly to read. You know, it's a very... You're really spelling stuff out. You really, I really work on my prose in, in describing things visually so that it's, uh, you know, so that it's a satisfying read and a super visual read. And part of that, I guess, is also because you're handing it off to an animator who has to be able, it has to be sort of clear totally. instructions. Yeah, for yeah, them. yeah. I mean, beyond even just like a team. So we, from the designer, the designers to the storyboard artists to the directors, everybody really has to see it. It's not, you're not just handing it off to, one person to interpret it's fanning out so yeah so it is really important and then also you know on the executive side too just to sort of sell this idea super with with incredible clarity like this is exactly what i'm seeing and if it if we can't do that for whatever reason because there actually are tons of limitations in animation you want to know exactly what is the issue with it is it a size problem is it a we don't have the you know character credits to do this or whatever so you really do learn right, to you have to unpack that a little bit so oh. yeah, cause, cause, yeah, what do you mean because it always seems to me like animation like what, there are no limitations but when you well so I'm talking that's uh, so I'm talking about CG versus 2D okay but even still in 2D there are I mean there, practically speaking once you're in production there are limitations to what you can do because for every everything you see on screen has to be designed so that's a human who's got to design a fork or a horse or a library, whatever, right? So somebody has to design the element. Um, and then that's just in 2D when it comes to CG, you know, uh, 3D animation. Um, that gets uh, inc- the, the, the level of work that goes into every element is expanded by a lot. <laughs> so for every character, you know, someone's got, it's got to be designed, it's got to be rendered. And there are limitations to how many characters you can have literally moving on screen at any given time. Or how so when you say character you credits, oh, that means, yes. A character, oh, a character credit would be when you're working with a studio. So I've worked on shows where uh, we'll, you'll have a limitation every episode. You can have, it's, it's actually like a sitcom where they'll go, all right, you can have two new sets in this episode. And... You, I don't know how many how many characters you get, but in right. animation you might have a limitation of you can have one new character every episode. Once they're created, you have this library on a show. You I have see. a library just like with a sitcom. Well, now we have that couch and recur- storage. We can bring it back. Right. We have that re- we have recurring character exactly. But right. when you're creating new day players, basically, yeah, um, because they have to be designed from scratch. Mm-hmm. And, okay. Yes. Yeah. And even, you know, it's funny because, yeah, when you're on certainly a, a multi-camera, I mean, any show, multi-camera, single-camera, right. how many, I guess, swing sets, like exactly. in multi-camera, which 
for those of you who don't know, it's just you have your standing sets that are there every week, and then a swing set is a set that's just there for that episode. That's right. And it's always hard, you know, we're very limited on having yeah. swing sets because that costs money because you're exactly. using actual physical building materials. Right. I didn't really, it never occurred to me that yeah, animation used the same thing. Totally, still, yeah. Very limiting. And, and, you know, it's, it's a pain in the butt, but it's also, I like the parameters. You know, at some yeah. point you kind of, you need it. Um, uh, yeah, where was I getting to? Anyway. Right, this, Specificity, so you, sorry. Yeah, limitations <laughs> are usually good for, yeah. for writers in general, that you can't just, like, fly off the handle and just yeah, be in yeah. a different place every single scene and just, right. have, you know, be all over the map. So... Um, what were some of those early animated shows that you worked on? Oh, let's see. I worked on well, I worked on a show called Wander Over Yonder that was here at Disney. Although we weren't here, we were. We're not. We're, we're we speaking were the, on the Disney lot. That's why she's saying here. <laughs> Very cool. We have a big blue hat. Um, I worked on. I worked on some Canadian shows. Oh, here's well, here's a live action show I worked on that was kind of fun. It was Breaker High, which. Uh, I just learned it's become a <laughs> cult hit because, well, Ryan Gosling was one of the, it was, I guess it was oh, wow. one of his, yeah, he was adorable. <laughs> uh, so I worked on that. No, that was non-animation. I worked on, um, what the heck? Uh, I worked on a really sweet show called O'Grady, which is by the, um, you know, the show Home Movies and Dr. Katz, the Squiggle Vision yeah. shows. It yeah. was a Squiggle Vision show. Fantastic. Uh it, it also, I think, was a show ahead of its time. Mm. Um, but you should look it up. I wrote a few episodes of that. Word Girl, pretty cool show, which yeah. is also by those guys, really funny. Um, yeah. What else that's fun? Oh, and then I've been at DreamWorks. Did I tell? Oh, I've been at DreamWorks for uh, the last few years. So I have worked on Home. That was a super fun show, 2D. Uh Kung Fu Panda, The Paws of Destiny on Amazon. Excellent show. Second season's coming up. Uh, Spirit, which is a really sweet show. Um, is that based on the hugely, movie? It's based on the movie, but not at all based on the movie. So the movie was... Uh, Spirit, Stallion of the Cimarron. Yeah, that's great. It was one of my kids' favorites. Yeah, it's a great, it's an <laughs> awesome movie. And the, the, uh, the TV show is nothing like that, uh, but it's hugely popular. Um, and it, a very sweet show, very, um, very kind of Little House on the Prairie, which I didn't mm. think would be my in my wheelhouse, but I really loved working on it. Very sweet. Do you have who? How old are your kids? I have twins who are twelve, boy and a girl. A boy and a girl. Oh, yeah. oh they might be. Yeah, they might. They might dig it. Uh, and then now I'm on another show that I can't talk about. It's very secretive. Uh, it's really cool. Super excited about it, but it'll be out, you know, next year. Okay, and you're executive producer. You're running yeah, that. Running, you're yeah. running that show. Yeah. And have you been? In, so you've been running some shows for. There, well, no. This is my first uh, show running job. There, I've I've run some. Sm oh, are you right? We're good. Oh, um, I've I've done some shows online that I've run, uh, created and co-run uh, smaller shows uh, live action and also kind of live action animated hybrid um, this is bigger <laughs> a lot more people um, but it's been really fun so it's what is it super fun what does it look what does your room look like on on a show like this how many writers well, do you have in that room 
in animation, oh, I don't even know what I'm allowed. This is crazy. Oh, you're okay. Let's not so, so yeah. if you can't talk about this show, I'm not allowed, it's the last state one, secrets. Let's talk about Kung Fu Panda. Oh, sure, right? sure. Okay. So, so what, the way it works is we typically the, the rooms are a lot smaller um, in uh, animation. So we had three staff writers. Is that right? One, two, three staff writers. And then our uh, EPs also wrote. And then um, we didn't do any freelancing on that show. Um, our uh, script coordinator, typically, like that's that we would move them up, you know, writers' assistants. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had, I guess, yeah, between five and six writers, and so that was a heavily epi- serialized. Doing how show. many episodes? Uh, twenty-six. Twenty-six. Yeah, super fast. The schedules are very fast. I'll say that, and like, it's one of those things, like the limitations of, of uh, you know, CG animation. You just write. You have to rise to the occasion. You're in. You're on. Like go, and uh, we do on the show I'm on now. I can say we. You know, we have a room, but we also have freelance scripts as well. So there's a lot of juggling of writers, um, which uh, you know it's it's challenging, but I kind of like it. So you have so new ideas, constant. You know, new new blood. Are those freelance writers just being handed an outline? So on typically on well on some animated shows. It's all freelance. I worked on a show once about uh, 10 years ago that I was um, I actually was uh, head writer of that one, and everybody was freelance. And it was actually a co-production, Canadian, French, German, I think. So I had some writers in Canada, some writers here, and then I had like two French writers, and I, that was like having to, I don't I can't remember who translated the scripts. It was do very you, Do you speak hard. French? I do not. <laughs> I'm Canadian, but I don't <laughs> speak French. You're not that French. kind of Canadian. No. But I, so I would be the, I guess, quality control. Once a script got translated, I would read it. And then if I couldn't understand it, I was, you know, I would have to change stuff. Uh, so often those shows are all freelance. Um, and then now here, I guess with, you know, there's been such an explosion in animation. There are a lot of places where there are rooms, you know, now that Netflix and Amazon and Apple and there's so many platforms for um, animation there's just a lot going on so and people are creating rooms in different ways big rooms little rooms rooms where it's part staff part freelance and a, a schedule will be like you know the first two or three scripts will be our staff and then we'll throw we'll have a freelancer and then we'll go you know we have this rotation um, and it's I guess like anything else it's you know you're beholden to the schedule and but in animation like once you're 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 in that you're in that schedule you can't you can't trip up something's got to something's got to ship every week or two weeks to your to your studio like to get animated so there's not a lot of forgiveness <laughs> in the schedule um, that makes sense that makes sense i mean yeah. that is mm-hmm. that, that always strikes me in network TV, where you're possibly making 22 episodes, right? Or you know, whether you're talking about you're doing 26 episodes or something, and yeah. being compared to shows that are doing eight or ten, right? Well, and the schedule of a 22 episode, 24 episode season is so unbelievably relentless. Yeah, and yeah. And it, it's a little different in animation, where you're not, you know, say you're working on a multicam network show, and you're just, you know, table read, run right. throughs, you know. The, here there's a lag you write the scripts and then you get an animatic back at a certain point and it works like yeah that. The, you know what a gantt chart is those I, charts that look like this well they're when you spread them out they're it's like a 
don't know. This is radio. Don't you're no one's seeing, no <laughs> one's making... seeing your hand gestures. <laughs> so there, yeah, there's a it's an it's an extended schedule that includes every step, but but there's a lot of steps, right? Like you have to start with this. The script is right at the beginning. Post is way at the end, but in the middle are depending on the kind of show. There are many many steps that you know from design to storyboarding to recording, you know, for us, the, the recording actually precedes the storyboarding, you know, music comes in there, it gets shipped off to get animated, composing happens, then you come in for post. Um, so there are, there is, a, it's a, it is a relentless schedule, um, but there's, you know, you, it's all you have to hold on to. And it's great because once you're, you know, once you're on it, you know exactly what's required every week. And, you know, you cross your fingers that nothing goes haywire. It does. The crap hits the fan. Uh, But uh, what was I... I had a point to it. Oh, here's what I was going to say is what is... On the the flip side of all this is like once you do a multi-camera, once you shoot it, it's done. It's up. It's it. There's there's, there's a limited amount you can fix things in the editing room. Whereas we have like a kind of... I won't say unlimited, but we have many, many opportunities to fix stuff. Particularly with um, acting, with voice acting. Right. We actually we actually call physical. Um, you actually re- refer to the way a character moves also as acting visually. Mm-hmm. But so voice acting you can fix later. You know you can, obviously you can fix sound and music and editing. You can fix the order of stuff. So there is a lot you can do uh, after the fact, which is a saving grace. Yeah. You know. Uh, to right. a point. You, you to can a point. Act, you can actually change what that character is saying. You sure. can put different words in that character. You can mouth. get creative. I found in editing sometimes executives are like can you just can can you just loop something or is this like well yeah well, no because you're on the character's face and you're right. going to notice that the words are different than what they're you right. know and they don't realize like no wait in multi yeah or single cam it's more often in single cam right. can you just loop something there's like no right. you can only do it if on the back of their head and you and right. that often feels weird where they're saying something when you're on the back of their head yeah uh, but someday but soon like yeah someday, someday soon like we'll be very able to, soon you'll yes, be able to we'll be able to fix that change someone's so lips. you were not when you were you know when you wrote sexy justice and you're doing the sketch you probably weren't thinking oh i'm gonna be working in animation and kids tv but since you've been you know have you i guess two questions one do you find once you're on that track people tend to think of you that way and it is hard Um, to do other things probably i don't you know i haven't really i've i really did stumble into it but I've really enjoyed, enjoyed it. it. So yeah, that's I mean, so you've been happy doing yeah, that. So yeah. it doesn't really matter whether you're put. You're you yeah. like the box you've been put in. So who uh, yeah, cares I whether mean, it's a box or it's not. a. Yeah, I guess it is. I I have been doing up up until the last probably the last year. I've sort of been doing animation and other things as well, like these uh, web series that I did over the past few years. Um, I wrote a book that was Plug a whole the book. other. Th- oh. I wrote a book. Oh, Mother's Day just happened. Well, by the time this comes out, it will it'll have been long gone. But I wrote a book uh, about being a mom, a series of essays that came out of a an essay I wrote that got picked up by the New York Times that went pretty viral. So I, I got to write this book that was super fun. Which uh, is called? Oh, it's called How Not to Calm a Child on a Plane. Uh, <laughs> that's what it's called. And so that was really fun. So I, I actually really enjoy doing more than one thing thing at once right so that has been my pattern it's it's kind of the what is it what they say one for you one for them one, one for, for me mm-hmm. right that's really been my mantra i mean it 
I, I love working, I love writing for other people, but I really, really love writing for myself. So I and have, have there been other it. pilots since this that you've... Well, uh, my book actually was optioned by uh, CBS, um, by... Um, <laughs> you know his name is anyway uh my book was optioned by cbs uh you know we wrote a pilot it was and you wrote the pilot for that i wrote it with another writer adam barr you may mm-hmm. know him yep. um and it was a super fun experience but it didn't get made but uh, you know that's how it goes <laughs> um and yeah so there there have been other pilots and other live action things but right now for the last year or so i've really just been doing one thing so that's kind of the new uh the new approach as far as animation goes. So now that I am doing this one thing, uh, I really like it. I didn't know that I would. I didn't know, yeah, I didn't know that I could really enjoy a job as much as I am enjoying it, I guess is, right? Like, that, yeah, I mean, that's the dream, Yeah, That's the dream. It's weird, yeah. No, it's, I, I really did condition myself. And I think it's, it, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. It's like what I say to people when like, you know, well, how do I do this? How do I do that? It's always just been my mantra to say, just make things. It doesn't matter who's hiring you or not. Yes, of course, you want to get hired. But for me, the, that way has always been make things. Figure out what you're good at. Figure out what your strengths are. Make it work on it. Have something to show, you know. And then, you know, if that leads to something great. Ideally, it does lead to something. So I've always had this, I'll do something for someone else. I'll do something for me. And then they really have kind of, I don't know, coalesced, I guess. Yeah, that's, yeah. you know, it's good advice. I think, you know, a lot of people listen to this are always oh. looking for that kind of advice. Yeah, well, we were, um, we, were, we were talking earlier, I think, before this was on, right, about um, how frustrating it can be when you write something that doesn't get made, which is very, very common here in the world of pilots. And that has been my, the single most frustrating thing for me has been that. And... Um, so I, I did learn early on, I guess when I was doing sketch comedy, how just how satisfying and how fun it was and how creatively just rewarding it was. And I, and that was, you know, that was my little cheese, the whatever, the, the, the cheese that kept me moving. So, um, and it also was a thing that would lead to more jobs. Like, you know, writing Sexy Justice was super fun. It was a job, but that, writing that script, uh, was really fun and it just rem- it has kind of kept I- I've been reminding myself over the years that like as long as I'm as long as I'm creating something I really like and I'm having fun and sometimes learning new skills like I, I learned how to edit and you know in, or- in order to create something as long as I'm doing that and I feel like I'm moving forward then the times that I write something that doesn't get produced it doesn't think so much I can always go back to I'm gonna you know I'm going to put on a show right. <laughs> or I'm going to make a web short or, you know. Yeah. So you're still able to access, but the feeling that you had writing this when stakes weren't that high, this yeah. wasn't your full-time career yeah. yet and you didn't really, there's a lot you didn't know and it was, I find like those are often the most fun yeah. writing experiences. Absolutely. I, mean, I feel like the first spec script I ever wrote, which is, you know, the Simpsons episode was just so much fun because right. it was, stakes were low. Do you find that you can still get to that writing things sometimes um yeah i i think so yeah i mean it, uh, uh yes definitely i just have to know if i feel like i'm if i feel like i'm trying to um it's like we were saying when you're writing when you're when you're trying to figure out what somebody 
wants, what the market wants, or what's going to make, I don't know, what'll get you the least notes. <laughs> that's, to, to, this, it's a losing strategy. It's what, you know, it's that writing for an audience. Who is the audience you're writing for, for real? Like, if uh, for me, it, it's always, if I, like I would, I would say uh, to a friend who ran this little theater, what's happening May 17th? Can I have the theater that Friday to do, to do a reading? Sure, what are you going to put up? I don't know. <laughs> but I, you know, that idea. But I have some friends who, um, who are available that night and they're really funny and I want to write something for them to, you know, if I have a specific, uh, if I have a specific audience in mind, I guess. At the, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that you can just play. I mean, that you can just play, yeah. Yeah, that immediacy of when you were doing sketch that you could you guys could just like write something and then go and perform it and get that Ugh, get that best. feedback. It's the best, and especially with comedy because you you really are like, did that work? Did it? It didn't. It did or it didn't. It's very satisfying. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm yeah. glad we could allow you to hear this Ugh. read out loud. With, I enjoyed I mean, it. With, so Tia Sarkar and Amanda Lund were just, you know. They killed it. That whole cast really killed it. It was super fun. You did a phenomenal <laughs> job as well. I feel like this is, so many of these interviews end with uh, <laughs> with the writers complimenting me on my stage directions. It feels like I, I'm like setting it up that way. I'm a, no, but all had, right, but I guess I'm as well. You had the perfectly dry <laughs> dry delivery, but it was great. And I say it all the time. This is like what Dead Pilot Society is really just all about me. Yes. To I think live you have my a, dream yeah. of being able to read stage directions. <laughs> you have a career in radio. It's fun. Place. It's fun with one like this where so much of the comedy really is in this. It yeah, is yeah, in yeah. the stage directions, you know, it's a very visual, yeah, single camera show, and right. Uh, I mean, just reading those those opening credits where you know the shots from the you know the other episodes were performing surgery and um, yeah, yeah, it was it was fun for me to read. Yeah, I'm glad we got to uh, got to do it. I'm yeah, I, I it was it was a it was a delight. I yeah, I. I cried. I cried and laughed and laughed and cried. Well, I hope really it was fun. more s- sweet. It was on the no, sweet was... side of bittersweet and less on the on the bitter side. It really was. Yeah, it was very. All right, it was good. Very well, sweet. We we love doing it, and thanks for thank for you. And chatting. I hope I haven't blathered too much. Not at all. All right, good. Joanna Stein. Thank you. And that's it for our show this month. The show is produced by myself and Ben Blacker and our associate producer, Noah Findling. Please, please, please subscribe to this podcast. We don't want you to miss an episode. And while you're there, leave us a rating. Uh, you should follow us on Twitter at Dead Pilots Pod, on Instagram and Facebook at Dead Pilots Society. You'll find out about all of our live shows, like the one coming up at the Hollywood Improv on June 8th. You'll find a link to buy tickets there. Uh, do it soon. Until next time, I'm Andrew Reich. Thank you for listening.